Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our special guest is Ed Freifogel, the co-founder of the Open Cage Geocoder, and we're going to talk about international challenges today, about building a global customer base. This episode is brought to you by your productized consulting guide. Want to get started with productized consulting? This book will teach you step-by-step how to craft your offer, overcome client objections, write your sales page, and strategically plan your services line. To get your copy, head over to uibreakfast.com slash productized and use your special promo code PODCAST20 on checkout to get 20% off any book package. Hi, Ed. Hi. How are you doing? Well, we're doing great. Thank you so much for making the time for us today. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. We're going to start with a short Blitz questionnaire to learn more about you and then continue with the main topic. How does that sound? Perfect. Perfect. Let's go. Fantastic. Question number one is, what do you do for a living? Uh, well, I kind of do two things. Um uh well three things um first up i i deal with my kids so i have two young kids so that i spend a lot of time on that um second of all i have um along with the uh, one one other co-founder and the co-founder of the um open cage geocoder which is a, a geocoding service a SaaS business that we run um i've been doing that for about um two or three years and um, then I also do a, a bit of angel investing and advising of different startups. Um, so in in Europe, which um, is where I live. Oh, wonderful! Uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, your uh, product that we that is somewhat very relevant to what we're doing today. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so uh, geocoding is the process whereby you have an address um, or, or a description of a place. So it could be an address or a place name. Um, and you need to convert that into coordinates because coordinates are what computers work with. Um, and Or the opposite might have coordinates, and then you need to turn that into an address or a place name. Um, and um, basically, for, it, this all started because about 13 years ago, um, I started a startup, um, a real estate search engine, and basically we would get we would get a lot of real estate listings from our various partners. And in the real estate listing, it would say, you know, this house is at this address. Um, but we wanted to display those on a map, and and the map needs coordinates to do that. Um, so you we had to build a way to take the addresses and convert them into coordinates. Um, so we built up um, a lot of expertise in doing that. In some countries, it's, it's pretty easy and straightforward. In other countries, it's very difficult. Um, but it, it depends on the quality of the data, of course. Um, and and um, so we built up a lot of expertise in doing that. Um, the, that business evolved, eventually got pretty big. Um, and in 2015, we sold that business to one of our competitors. Um, and uh, but they weren't interested in this geocoding piece. So myself and my partner, we we took that piece and spun it off and created a, a SaaS business out of it. So our product is an API that anyone can use to um, send us either addresses or coordinates, and we give you back the opposite of that. Um, 
that our customers are people who need to do this many, many thousands of times a day. So um, this is computers, basically, you know, computers talking to computers. Um, there are a couple. <laughs> well, there, there are a couple of use cases. Uh, a very common use case is um, vehicle tracking. So basically, it's gotten very cheap to have a tracking device in a vehicle. Um, so let's say you have a fleet of trucks or taxis or whatever, and you have a device in each one that records where it is, um, but it's recording coordinates and. At some point, you want to. The, the problem is the coordinates mean nothing to humans, so um, you need a way to convert those coordinates into something that makes sense to a human, and that's what we do. We provide a service to do that. Um, interesting point about what our service does that's um, perhaps different than others is we're based entirely on open data, um, and and um, so that means you have a lot of flexibility in what you can do with the data. Um, so. So that's it. I, I can, if you want, I can go into a lot more detail about that, of course. But at a very high level, that's uh, that's um, what we do. It's a great success story, uh, which means you built a solution for uh, for yourself and were able to resell it later. Uh, yes, yes. Um, and it's it's been very it's it's been fun. Um, and what's what's interesting is. Um, we're definitely in the right place at the right time and that there's a lot more increasingly growing demand for uh, geocoding in that the cost of tracking devices keeps going down. Um, and frankly, now everyone has a device that always knows where they are and their phone with them pretty much all the time. So location is being integrated into more and more services. Um, and, and we play, a, you know, we're part of the, let's say, technical plumbing that can um, help people do that. What does your typical day look like? Uh, well, as I said, I have two small children, so um, I get up early with them. Um, we eat breakfast. Um, I take them to school. Usually I go to the gym after that and then um, come back from home, which actually is something I probably might, might be trying to change this year because that has its negative. It has its positives, but it also has its negatives. Um, I should also say my 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 partner and co-founder. He um, I live in Barcelona, and he's based in Germany. So so we're, we're a remote team, um, a distributed team. Um, so anyway, then I, I come back from the gym and um, I'm at home, work for a couple hours. Um, I think one of the great things about it is of having your own business. Of course, is that you know you can do whatever you want. So it's it's quite diverse. Um, uh, also, the, the good thing about having a small business, uh, well, let's say the good and the bad thing of having a small business is you get to do everything. <laughs> right. um, so sometimes it's a lot of fun and, and uh, sometimes it's much less fun. But um, uh, so it, it really depends what, what we're working on. We kind of kind of do different phases of um, working on the product or working more on the marketing side of things or um and, you know, dealing with customer support issues as they come in, um, all those types of things. Um, uh, occasionally, um, I, I try to go out and go to a, go to events, both as an exercise in trying to of sales, but also as a way to, um, you know, keep my sanity. Um, so, uh, yeah, and then by, by anyway, but I work, let's say, for a couple hours, and then usually by about late afternoon, um, there are either errands to run or it's time to go get the kids or, or whatever. So, um, 
so that's pretty much it. Um, and then sometimes in the evening, I might hop back online to try to work a bit more after the kids are asleep. Um, or uh, because I'm based in Europe, a meaningful chunk of our clients are in the U.S. So sometimes in the evening, it can be productive as a way to to link up with them. It is a very um, familiar familiar yeah. schedule <laughs> because I have the same issue with the time zones. So you are yeah. never never really done at night because everyone is still up. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. We used to joke, um, you know, like any business, you have your 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 phases where it goes faster or slower. And um, for whatever reason, we had one phase where, like, every night, right as I'm like in the middle of making dinner for the kids and cooking dinner, is when all the like big client queries would come in, new customers would sign up. And so whenever things are slower, it's like, okay, we need to, I need to spend more time like cooking dinner, you know, like it's always <laughs> things come in when, when you, when you don't want them. Um, I guess the, the other one big advantage of um, having a, a distributed business and also kind of a, a SaaS business where the customers are all over the world is um, it's very location independent. So the other thing I try to do is every year in the summer when the, when the kids are out of school is, um, you know, go somewhere else for a month or two. And so last year we were in Berlin for two months. Um, you know, the year before that we were, we were at my relative's place in Germany. Um, this year we'll probably go to the States for, for six weeks or so. So, um, that's another thing that I quite value about our business. Um, our business is very much kind of a lifestyle business. So, um, we're funded by our profits, um, and, and, uh, it gives us a lot of flexibility. So as long as we're, the service is working well for our clients, we, we really have a lot of, um, freedom. So I really quite enjoy that, particularly given at my, my previous business, the, the real estate business, that was more your classic startup where, you know, we had an office, um, investors working quite hard, you know, a big team in one location, um, really trying to race to, to, to meet certain targets and things. This is much more a, um, a lifestyle business. Wonderful. So. This is a goal for, for a lot of people in our community. I'm so happy that you hit that. Yeah, it, 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 it has a lot of positives, particularly I have to say now as a, as a father of two children, it, it gives me a lot of flexibility. Um, It does have some negatives, though, um, in terms of, like, as I said, working from home by yourself takes a lot of discipline. Uh, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy. I mean, one thing that you that I really grapple with um, and, and hopefully I'm getting better with is the managing your mood versus the ups and downs of the business. So, you know, you can have a great week where you get all, a lot of new customers and things like that and, and you feel great. But likewise, then the very next week, for whatever reason, it can be a bit slower. And and keeping your, your mood constant in the face of that is difficult in general, but I think it's even more difficult if you're, you know, kind of by yourself. That can be a challenge. Absolutely. Uh, our next question was, what do you enjoy the most and the least about your work? But I think you've, you really answered that, Buff. And the, the most part is the flexibility. And the least part is the mood swings. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I, I like the flexibility of how I can structure my life. I also really like the diversity of the work. So mm -hmm. um, my, my background originally, uh, you know, at the start of my career was as a software developer. And I still do. Um, in this business, my, my colleague is much more the, the technical lead, kind of the CTO. Um, you know, he's, he's more technical than I am. But, um, but I, I, I can still get my hands dirty and do a bit of um, the technical stuff. 
Um, and, and so I enjoy that. Uh, I enjoy dealing with the customers. I enjoy pretty much all aspects of it. Um, and, and I really like that you can um, alternate. You know, you're not really just stuck in one thing. Um, that's enjoyable. It's less enjoyable when you know you have to deal with taxes or, or you know things like that 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 are less fun. But but you still have to find you have to find a solution. But um, uh, yeah, the diversity is really great. What is your next big thing for yourself personally or for the company? Right. So my strategy uh, personally. Um, well, let, let me let me talk about myself personally first. So. You know, I, as I said, I, I had a um, your traditional startup um, in London from 2006 until 2015, until we sold to our competitor, and and uh, so nine years, and did that whole ride and um, with all of its its ups and downs, and at the end we were able to sell to one of our competitors at a at a very nice return to the investors. Um, and meanwhile, my life had evolved, and, and I, I had kids and stuff. So we thought we would take a break. And my wife got a very good job here in Barcelona, so we moved to Barcelona. And um, so I kind of wanted to take a break, but but you also want to keep doing things that are interesting. So my my, my strategy right now is twofold. On the one hand, I have um, the geocoding business, which is a a, a very steady interesting uh, SaaS business that um, I learn a lot by doing and provides a lot of diversity of work. Um, but the negative, or, or let's say one, one, it's not an explosive growth business, um, right? So it, it's not, it, you know, it's, it's slow and steady, um, which, which I enjoy, but, but that is one limitation of it. So what I do on the other side is given my expertise in kind of geo Topics. I, I do a bit of advising and angel investing, and in, in mainly in startups in that um, space, where I can apply my knowledge, um, and, and that's quite interesting because it, it, it puts me, it, it keeps me in contact with a lot of interesting people. It um, has the potential for. Um, exposure to diverse challenges um, and potentially, you know, there, there's a lot of upside if, if the startups succeed. Um, so, and I find that balance quite good. The, the balance of the steadiness of my own SaaS business and the potential upside of, of the startups that I invest in and advise. Um, in terms of for our business, what the next big thing is, uh, I would say it's, it's, There's no amazing new feature we're going to unlock. We one one we're we're quite let's say religious about doing one thing very well in our business, um, and and there's a lot of potential for distraction and doing other things, and we really try to steer clear of that and focus just on doing our our one little niche well and serving our customers very well in that space, um, and and that seems to be working quite well. We have very loyal customer base. Um, and we um, and, and it grows uh, not explosively but steadily, and so we're going to focus on doing more of that. Um, and you know, customers do of course ask us for different features and things, and and um, sometimes we're able to do them, sometimes we're not. But um, it's going to be more of the same. Um, and and in, in in the space that we're in, I and mean, we're really providing a back end technical service, people. People are not looking for us to be radically innovative or anything. What they're looking for is that the service does what it says it's going to do. It's reliable. It's priced affordably. And, and then they move on to the next step. I mean, this isn't something that people, um, 
as I said, it's back-end plumbing. Like, you don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about plumbing. You just want it to work. <laughs> and, and, exactly. and that's what we do. That's what we do. So we don't, for example, spam our users all the time with, oh, my God, check out this amazing new thing we did or whatever. Like, that's not the space we're in. People aren't um, – we're, we're a utility. And, and, and so we focus on doing that very well. Wonderful. Let's go back to our main topic, which is uh, which is building a global SaaS customer base. And uh, you gave a brilliant talk at MicroConf Europe. That's why I decided to talk to you to the podcast. So generally speaking, I would say uh, SaaS, you know, founders they split into categories. One of them say, "Oh." Never, ever global customer base. I will stick to my home region, to my home currency forever. And the other people, uh, they use the opportunity to, you know, expand your outreach to other regions. And you obviously belong to, to the second group. Right. So tell us, uh, tell us a bit in general about your philosophy, um, if and how a customer uh, base should be expanded to other regions. Uh, right. So, um, yes, our, our customer base is quite global. We have, we have customers all over the world. Um, the, you know, the joke I made at MicroConf, which is excellent, by the way, um, and highly recommend it to any SaaS founder, was um, it, when I was doing the research for my talk, I noticed, uh, I guess I was aware of it, but I, was only, I only really became cognizant of it. We have customers on six out of the seven Continents. The only one we're missing is Antarctica. So anyone listening <laughs> on Antarctica, I will give you geocoding for one euro per year, um, just so I can say I have a customer um, on Antarctica. But um, in seriousness, what in the tech industry? Well, let me say how this when, when I started my career twenty years ago at Yahoo. At the time when Yahoo was, you know, the, the hottest internet company, and it was just blind luck. I, I was straight out of university, and I ended up. Um, applying for a job at Yahoo in Germany, in Munich, where I was living at the time. And I got that job um, in 1998, and, and Yahoo was exploding. Yahoo was the hottest company. And, and I, so I did that for five years and went through all the ups and downs of kind of the Internet 1.0. Um, but effectively, my, my job there consisted of the engineering team and the product team in, at Yahoo in America would make an amazing service for America, and then they would kind of throw it at us in Europe and say, here you go, you can have it. And they'd be like, well, this isn't really right for our users. You know, like you're missing this feature and it doesn't do that. And it, you know, it kind of works, but it doesn't really work. And, and, and so what I really saw is that many, not all, but many American tech companies are very bad at internationalization, particularly back then. I think maybe it's gotten a bit better, but, but, um, and, and now with the, the whole SaaS trend, you see again and again, you know, there's a huge SaaS culture in the U.S. And, and, and you see a lot of people um, making their SaaS businesses and there's all kind of resources about, um, you know, how to create a SaaS business and, and, and uh, microconf and things like this. And it's all very valuable, but a lot of it's very U.S. centric. Um, and uh, so the, the point of my talk was that I think you can get a lot of value by uh, by not just limiting yourself to the U.S. And, and um, you can really diversify the revenues of your business. Um, and by, by doing a few minor um, things that are not really that difficult, you can really, um, really grow your business by, by expanding it to you know, a, a, a much, much larger potential customer base. Um, and so that's something that we focused on in our business quite a bit um, because the, the need for our services is completely global. 
Um, so, so we, 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 it's not that, you know, what you see with a lot of American companies is they'll have a U.S. service and then, you know, as an afterthought, they kind of tack on maybe, oh, okay, we'll also sell it internationally. Um, but I, I think there's a lot more value by from being targeting a global audience. So, so the task of making it more accessible to other countries, it's, it's, it's not trivial, but it's also not hard. But it involves, you know, several levels of things you need to do. Uh, you know, measurement units, uh, currencies in the billing. What else comes to mind? Uh, what else do you recommend to cover when you're doing that um, uh, adjustments? Yeah, right. Uh, so, so obviously it depends upon your service. Okay, so, um, uh, but... Uh, in the case of our service, uh, you know, which is kind of um, technical utility, um, which, which is the case for many SaaS services, um, it, you're right, it's not that hard. Um, so, for example, um, our service is only in English because our target audience is software developers, and software developers can, at the very least, read English. They may not all feel great about speaking English or writing in English, but, but they're used to seeing technical documentation in English, and, and they can process that. So we don't need to translate the site or anything like that. But it's much more about, I think there's a couple things you have to do. It's like, first of all, does the service actually meet their need? Um, are they able to trust you that you're, that, that you're going to do what you say you can do? And then, um, you know, are, do you make it as simple as possible for them to, to become your customer? Um, so, so that's a lot of things, like, um, like the examples that you have on your site, making sure that they're not all just... Uh, American or for your home market, letting people pay in their currency, um, you know, all kinds of little things like that, doing things, uh, going to, you know, maybe it's going to events in those countries, maybe it's reaching out to um, communities in those uh, online communities or whatever countries, like targeting them with special offers, maybe it's things like, you know, going on a podcast in, in that, that targets those different markets or things like that. Um, doing things to help them trust you. Um, so, um, you know, l let me give you an example. Uh, like a big issue in Europe is, um, you know, the, the issue with VAT and invoicing and a lot of countries have different rules of like, you know, how am I going to buy this thing? What, what method of payment am I used to, you know, am I going to get a properly formed invoice for my country so that I can uh, deal with this thing correctly? Um, so it's not rocket science. It's, it's more just systematically going through and thinking about these things and saying, you know, would a person from country X trust my service? Would they understand it when they land on my landing page? Um, you know, am I making it as easy as possible for them to, to purchase from me but, you know, the same way you would think about it, any, any country any any market, but then expand that a bit beyond that to, to think about different issues in those different markets. I would like to point our listeners to our previous episode about international uh, things, which which is with Joe Leach, um, maybe half a year ago, and we were talking about the UX part of things, and uh, that is a little bit wilder because a lot of uh, countries have different, you know, usage patterns, and it, it's it's not just about translating the UI in different languages. Uh, Okay, and correct. Yeah. Joe recommends if you really want to truly adopt your your product to 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 certain market, let's say global uh, exotic markets, uh, 
China or something like that. Uh, then you need to find an advocate in, in the local community who would also speak English and who would be your, you know, translator into that whole world of uh, traditions and the way products is used. But um, you... Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think it, <laughs> it's going to depend a lot on your target audience and, and, and who your product is designed for. So, um, as I said, our product is for software developers. Um, so that's probably the easiest market internationally because I think that um, yeah, obviously, if yours is a consumer product, it, it, it may be more challenging. Definitely. Absolutely. Oh, and in your case, we're talking about you know the light option of. Uh, transition into different countries where the effort is uh, not not that huge. Uh, so I would like to ask you about billing. That is one question that, you know, needs separate treatment. Right. How do you manage different currencies in your billing system? Do you have different prices for different continents and countries? Yes. So, um, so we use Stripe, which many um, SaaS services use. And, and for example, Stripe is an example for me of a country of, of a service that you know they started with the U.S. and the U.S. is a huge market, and now slowly they're they're rolling out to other markets, and 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 I think they're doing an okay job of it. But like, you can tell this is an American company because, for example, they don't have a good solution for invoicing, which is critical in Europe. It's absolutely critical. Um, and 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 it blows my mind that they that they launched without that um, because it's just the legal requirements in in different countries are different and and they um, it's really surprising that they didn't uh, you know especially the founders are actually European but um, you know I, I, I guess that you know it's a good service and we use it um, so in Stripe it is actually now pretty easy to you can accept payment in in many different currencies um, so that part is good. What what's bad is the uh, the invoicing, and so we use a service called um, Quaderno, which is a Spanish company. Very very good. They plug into your Stripe account and and they generate, they calculate all the tax and everything correctly for all the different um, markets, and and generate the correct invoice for you. Obviously, um, you know, co-branded or white labeled so that it has our logo and everything like that. But they do all the, the generation of the invoices and the sending of the invoices. And then Quaderno also plugs into Xero, which is our accounting software. And so then we get that, you know, it's all pre-calculated and everything, how much VAT we owe and everything like that. So um, that works really, really well. Um, but, but that's a great example of a feature where it was, as an international business, as a non-US business, it was shocking that they didn't have this feature in Stripe from the beginning. Um, and and now Stripe has added other payment methods beyond credit card. And so in a lot of Europe, um, particularly businesses, it's not very common that a business will have credit cards. Um, depends on the size of the business and things. But um, And so we, we do have many customers who say, look, I, I like your service. I want to become your customer. I cannot pay by credit card. How do you want me to pay you? Um, and so for those customers, we have to accept that they send us a bank transfer and things like that. Um, and, and so that creates a little bit of a headache because, um, you know, if you use something like bare metrics, which plugs into our Stripe, you know, that payment is outside of Stripe. So then how do I get that into, into those metric systems and things like that? Um, it's manageable, but it's, 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 it's more annoying than it needs to be. Um, so then the second point you had is about, um, pricing 
Okay. Mm -hmm. So obviously uh, I'm sure you could do many podcasts just about the science of pricing um, a SaaS, but, uh, but yes, one, one, one challenge we face is, so first of all, we, we price in many different currencies because we want customers. That's the way the customer thinks, right? If a, if a, a German customer comes to my site, he wants to know the price in Euro. Um, and, and if you show him the price in dollars, of course you can kind of, you know, calculate it or whatever, but you've now created more friction. So, um, and, and, and every, every time you create friction is, is you're reducing the chance of a sale. So um, we, we allow payment in many major currencies. Most major currencies, so our price in, in euro and dollars are the same, but we do have customers in markets, um, let's say that are much more cost sensitive. So, so developing countries, so let's say um, South Africa, Brazil, um, places like this where, you know, if I charge someone in the US $50, um, that, that represents a lot more money to someone in South Africa, let's say, or, or, or Brazil. So, um, so basically, we, we have different prices if you pay in different currencies. Not radically different, but slightly different, um, to, because otherwise, you, you know, you're pricing yourself out of the market in those markets. I can give an example of what Adobe did this year. I come from Russia, and that is somewhat a developing country, I guess, <laughs> because their pricing uh, was uh, like more affordable. Uh, until this year when they decided to level up uh, pricing yeah. for all the countries. And suddenly it became twice as much. And I'm totally fine with global pricing because I, I know how much good software can cost. But you should have seen that you know discussion thread in their forum, people sure. discussing that uh, level up. Really, so picking one stra strategy and sticking to it is probably a great idea. Yeah, yeah, uh, well... Uh, yeah, people don't like price changes. Right? I mean, <laughs> that's really universal across all countries around the world. Um, um, but yeah, it's very easy to, based on the, the IP address of the user, right? you can figure out what country they're in. Um, we have a post on our blog about the, the service that we use to do that called IP Info. And you just, you know, you look at what country they're in and then set the price accordingly um, or set the, deed, the currency accordingly. Um, and it, it works well. So. There is a certain psychology to the actual numbers in price, as you might know. Of sure, course, sure. Uh, let's say the U.S. Pl U.S. dollar plans are, you know, thirty-nine, eighty-nine, one hundred forty-nine, and then yeah. translated to pounds or euros, all of a sudden they look totally weird. How do you deal with that? Right. Yeah. So we so we we round them obviously to more convenient numbers. So um, I mean. Okay. You know, it, it, the thing is also, I mean, the currencies do fluctuate, particularly in the last couple of years. With um, we've seen, there's been a lot of vol more volatility than probably in the previous ten years or whatever. But um, yeah, so uh, you know, we're, we 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 round them to approximate, um, but but better looking numbers. In some cases, you know, maybe you get a better deal if you play in Polish lobby than if you pay in euro or whatever. But I mean, we're talking about a few percent. So, um. uh, since you mentioned currencies fluctuating, that's one big problem for bookkeeping. Do you pay any special, you know, attention to calculating your metrics in different currencies, no, or no, do you no, run no. them up all together to your home currency? Yeah, that. that, that is, so um, the way it works is, if it, let's imagine you come to my site and you um, you become a customer in whatever in euro. Um, so Stripe bills you in euro, and, and, and you get you see only euro. When 
Stripe collects that, they convert it into the home currency. So in our case, we, from a legal standpoint, we're a UK business. So it gets then converted into pounds and, and then Stripe eventually transfers it into our, our UK bank account in pounds. Um, so, um, so in that regard, it's like, I don't really, um, you know, as we have more and more customers paying in more and more different currencies, it kind of balances out in general. Um, so that like one currency may go up and one may go down, but, but it, it, it generally balances out. Um, and so I, I'm not really too worried. Like if someone pays in Swedish kroner or they pay in Swiss francs or I don't really care because, um, I care more about getting a new sale and getting a new, uh, uh, particularly a, a subscription than I care about, you know, did I lose 1% because the Swedish kroner this week is up or down or whatever. It's, it's much more important just to get another customer. Right. Uh, that is exactly the approach that I always advocate for. Uh, so uh, worrying about these little little pennies is not worth your time. It's much better to invest into growing your business and making three new sales instead. Absolutely. Absolutely. So just to recap, uh, the things you need to address are the pricing page, uh, the screenshots on your site, well, the well, website I, translation, of course. Uh, are we missing out on something else, something important? Well, I, I, again, I think it depends on your, your, um, your product. But what mm -hmm. I think you need to address is when someone comes to your site, they need to have the impression that you can meet their need. Okay, mm -hmm. so that may be that it needs to be in their language. That may, maybe it doesn't need to be, which maybe it's enough to be in English. But maybe it's maybe you need to have examples that show them. So in our case, um, with geocoding, if you go to our homepage, right on the, the the top of the homepage, we have examples that are from several different countries. So immediately people can see, okay, this isn't just a U.S. service or this isn't just a, a, a U.K. service because we're a U.K. business. They can see immediately um, this works all around the world. Um, and, and so I, I, I don't, it's not so much, it depends on your product, but what, what needs to happen is they need to immediately have the perception, this product I need. Then the second thing is, can I trust this? Um, you know, can I, can, is, is this a site I want to give my payment details to? Is this a site like in our case where we're doing, um, we're providing technical infrastructure and price is an important piece of that. But, but for a lot of people, it's much more about, you know, if I'm building on top of this, is it reliable? Um, you know, it, it is, so uh, it's, you know, creating that impression that they can, it meets their needs, they can trust it. And, and then finally is, you know, do they understand how much it costs and are they, are they willing to, to, is that an affordable cost? And so that's about, you know, showing the currency in their, having the price in their currency and things like that. That is a fantastic way for approaching it, you know, sort of holistically, not following blindly some to-do list, because it, uh, it sets the whole philosophy, the basic, basic principles for these adjustments that you need to make. Yeah, and I mean, it, you know, the exact details will, of course, depend on your product and who your target audience is and things like that. So, and, and maybe you generate that trust by having testimonials from people that they know or, you know, that are from their culture. Maybe you do it by having the translation of the site. Maybe you do it just by examples. I don't, you know, you'll have to decide that based on your product. But, but the fundamental concept is, you know, does it meet their need? Can they trust you? And then is it, you know, is the price reasonable? Do you have any other stories or anecdotes about, uh, you know, localization stories in SaaS? Uh, well, 
Well, what, one idea, I mean, this is, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe you'll find this amusing or, I mean, one challenge <laughs> that, that we have um, is, of course, always um, as a small SaaS business um, is, is, you know, sometimes companies don't want to trust a small you know, business. So how do you create the um, impression that you're bigger than you are? Um, and, and I've actually heard of people who do things like, you know, create different um, email personas for answering customer emails, you know, with different names that are, you know, you know, if the guy is, you know, if the guy's from China, you answer in kind of a Chinese name. If the guy is from, uh, you know, Brazil, you answer with kind of a Latin American name or something, you know, and try to and put kind of alternate titles on there, you know, like head of Asia or head of, uh, you know, things like that. Um, so I don't know that, that <laughs> I don't know if that level of deception is something I would recommend, but, um, but that can also be a challenge. I mean, there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of cultures where people really want to know who am I doing business with and can I trust them? And are they going to, you know, a lot of big companies say, Oh, we don't want to work with startups because who knows, who knows if they'll be there in two, three years, you know? And so overcoming that is, is, is also a challenge. Um, and, and frankly, one we're still grappling with, we occasionally lose customers to things like that because they just say like, Oh, you're too small for us to work with. And, um, the good news is, you know, the longer you're in business and the longer of a trading history you have and the more, um, the bigger your customer base and the more examples you can point to, of course, the, the, the more that problem goes away. But, um, but it is a challenge. It is a challenge. I so. recall Peldi's talk at MicroConf when he, uh, so he, his talk was a recital of tools they use for different parts of running their business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, they were like, we use this tool for a year, got acquired. We use this tool for another year. That one got acquired. So they say that startups right. essentially either die or get acquired. Would you really agree with that? Uh, well, I, I, I would agree with that for VC-backed startups. But I, I'm not sure I agree with it. So, for example, one of the things we put right on our homepage is that we are not backed by any VCs. We are backed by our ongoing revenues. Um, and, and, and we have been that way for, for several years now. And um, so... You know, we're not going anywhere. Like the, the business works, it, it generates a very nice cash flow, and 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 that's what we do. So, um, and and we're here to serve our customers, um, and you know, we actually have won several quite big customers, quite large organizations, because um, they, you know, they 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 understand what we're doing, and and we um, they have confidence that um, very often also with, with some big customers. They want to pay, let's say they don't necessarily want the cheapest price. They want the reliability. Um, and if you can convince them of that reliability, then they're, they're perfectly willing to pay a bit more and, um, because they, they want you to survive and they want you to be there and be dependable. So, As we're wrapping up today's conversation, your last piece of advice to, uh, let's say, a local startup that decided to SaaS product that decided to expand into a few other countries. What is the best path forward? Uh, well, I, I think if you've done those kind of obvious things that I say, like, you know, um, making sure it conveys that you can serve customers in those countries and, and letting them pay on their currency and things like that. I think one, one, good thing that you can do is really try to engage with communities in those countries. Uh, so that can be online. 
Um, but find ways to whatever your 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 product is. So like if you're you provide a WordPress plugin or whatever, there must be communities that you can reach out to and engage with, um, you know, and, and, you know, get on their, do interviews on their blogs, get, uh, do go onto their podcast. What it is, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's, you have to get in a plane and go to their events, um, which, which actually can be a lot of fun, um, frankly. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, I, I would say think a lot about which communities can you engage with and get them to be kind of multipliers of your brand. That is great advice. Thank you, Ed, for sharing your wisdom today. <laughs> My pleasure. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Where can people find you and your company online? Right. So um, our company is at opencagedata.com. Um, so, or search for OpenCage Geoking. Um, you know, if you, we're, we're on Twitter at uh, OpenCage Data. Um, if you're interested in me personally, um, it's uh, my Twitter handle is Freifogel, which is cumbersome to spell, but hopefully you'll be able to find it in the show notes. But it's F R E Y F O G L E, um, and likewise, my my own personal site is um, Freifogel.com. So wonderful! You mentioned you have a discount for our listeners. That's right. Um, if anyone would like, uh, anyone needs geocoding, um, we're happy to offer ten percent off a lifetime discount. Um, to any of your listeners, um, when they, what I would recommend, they should sign up for our service and test it. So we have a freemium model, and, and they can um, they can use the free trial as as long as they like, up to a certain level. And then when they need more and they're ready to become a customer at the at checkout, they should enter the discount code UI Breakfast, all in all caps. We'll include that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being so kind. <laughs> oh, thanks! Thanks for the opportunity. This is great. Wonderful. Thank you, Ed, and have a great day. You as well. Bye. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It will help other people discover this podcast. Mm-hmm.